Welcome to Soundboard, the Steinway & Sons podcast on artistry and craftsmanship. I'm your producer and host, Ben Fanan, editor-in-chief at Steinway & Sons and at listenmusicculture.com. My guests today are the husband and wife director and playwright team, Reed and Sarah Farrington, whose most recent work in progress is Brando Capote, based on Truman Capote's 1957 New Yorker profile of Marlon Brando titled The Duke and His Domain. The play is the Farrington's follow-up to the 2017 Drama Desk-nominated Casablanca Box. They spoke to me at my apartment in New York City. If you didn't talk a lot, you wouldn't have a lot of idea productivity. You wouldn't exactly be a playwright. Yes. Like, I'm definitely not a playwright. I know enough to ask other people questions. Well, that's good. You must be a good listener. I'm a good listener, exactly. But, I mean, I'm a writer, too, but not... It has to be project to project. Yeah. I don't think I could have ideas of my own. But that's another (laughs) podcast. (laughs) Ideas are really hard to... Ideas are tough. Well, that's why we work in the theater. Yeah, Reed's a good we, idea, man. We, we, well, it's also the collaboration of ideas. I mean, it's not just one person's idea right. here. You know? No, no way. One of my playwriting teachers, Constance Congdon, she told me the best thing, uh, advice about playwriting, which was you cannot wait for an idea. You cannot wait for inspiration. You have mm, to be writing yeah, and yeah. allow the inspiration to come yeah. while you're writing. And it seems an obvious idea, but that actually helps me a lot. I have to get through the dead material mm. before the inspiration strikes as you're working. So Well, that's true for music. It's true for composers. Yeah. You can't light candles and wait for inspiration to strike. Oh, yeah. it's, it's not. Like, it's, and it's the same with writing. Apply ass to chair. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's that's the big thing. Yeah, just like going to the gym, totally or brushing your teeth. You gotta you gotta get make those it sweatpants a, on. Yeah, <laughs> and don't sit around the house. Just get go the to the gym. Yeah, get that liquid intelligence. Yeah. Right. When I grew up, I did community theater, such American theater classics as The Velveteen Rabbit, Aww. The Hobbit, Yeah, Charlotte's Web, Secret Garden, etc. Yeah. Anyway, I, I grew up in East Tennessee, and there was. In the early 90s, maybe, it was pre-internet, so I can't look it up. It was called the (laughs) Knoxville World Festival. And these amazing theater troops came from everywhere and were grossly underattended. And I saw, like maybe when I was 13, a production of the Dragons trilogy, Robert Lepage. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. And in in sort of a local environment? Yes. And (laughs) you guys know this work. It's it's six hours. It's in three languages. The staging is insane. Everything about it is insane. It's in an ateleological format. And I went and I was like, oh, my God. You know, as a kid, you saw it. As a kid, I saw it. And, uh, you know, I was so amazed by it that I, I got a ticket. Uh, to come back the next day. And like, I swear to God, there were th- maybe 30 people. Oh, I know. It, weird. It was yeah. so, A, why aren't more people here? But B, like, oh, so theater doesn't have to be... I know. <laughs> Two people talking. Musicals or like, <laughs> or, yeah, or, or, or this this story with a three-act I, arc. I, I think those kind of experiences... They're that shaped. I can tell like the, um, not the Harry, the Emperor Jones story for me was the exact same thing. I I came to experimental theater late because I didn't know plays could not have songs in them. I didn't, I didn't really get, I mean, I certainly knew the big boys like Tennessee Williams and Eugene O'Neill. I knew all the very famous playwrights and that was very formative to me, but I thought you had to do them the way that the playwrights told you to do them. And I saw the Emperor Jones at St. Anne's Warehouse. I think it was like 2004 or five. 
And I had that. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, you can take a classic yeah. play and do it however you want without asking anyone's right. permission. And no one cares and they actually applaud you. I yeah. was like, I'd never seen that before. And I felt like a rube. How could I? How could this have been going on for decades without me really knowing how many rules you could break? And that is actually how I met Reed because I immediately applied for an internship. And I think I was 25. I was a little old to be an intern. But I was like, I have to be around this. I have to be here. Mm-hmm. And I got the internship. I was there every Friday. And then Reed was their video designer at the time. And I started. we started going out. And then we've since been together for like 14 or 15 years now. Yeah. So my point of my story is to have the fabric of what you assume theater to be ripped open like yes. that in such an obvious way mm-hmm. for me is life-changing. Let's talk about the inciting incident which for this interview, which was I had recently read on, I'll give it a shout out, longform.org, which uh, publishes a lot of great pieces that are over three or 4,000 words, a classic interview between Truman Capote and Marlon Brando, uh, wherein Brando was in Japan shooting... Sayonara. A terrible movie. So bad. Sayonara. I mean, it's, it was thought of as good back then. Right. And groundbreaking back then. It was. Because because it, it was an interracial relationship that worked. Romance and adventure in exotic Japan. Stupid, ignorant slob. I mean, go ahead and marry this uh, slant-eyed run if you want to. It'll serve you right. Oh, my heart is so full of love for you. Sayonara is a film that will last forever. Orientalism incarnate. Oh my God. And they, As is the interview. It, yeah. 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 Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no, not at all. But then I saw on the social medias that you <laughs> were making a play out of this interview. Yeah. And I was like, how is that even possible? Yeah. So let me just ask you that question. You take this interview as inspiration for a piece of theater. Where do you start in trying to bring something like that off the page and to the stage. Well, I, I mean, first off, the reason for choosing the interview goes back to your Robert Lepage thing. And in the sense of we're interested in bringing a, t- a contemporary form of theater to a wider audience. And so we're choosing subjects that people have access it to. It seemed perfect. Two people that most people know. And the same with Casablanca. We're like, okay, people know the movie going in. So it's not like <laughs> we have to. It's not like we're giving them this obscure medieval text that then we're messing with. They already right. know it. So they already have these fabulous opinions about it. Right. And they have easy access to the source material as well, which is what we feel is important. Yeah. And, and so that's why we chose Brando. And we didn't even think of this article to begin with. Yeah, we and wanted we s- to do a Brando. We didn't know exactly the vehicle, but that's what we wanted yeah, to do. Yeah, we were like, after Humphrey Bogart, who do we do next? Yeah, we were like, who, who's the, who else? And after Casablanca, like, who's this controversial figure, American legend, that people hate or love, or both, like me? And so then we, we stumbled on this article, yeah. written by Truman Capote, who, I mean... He is like a miracle of writing. He really, he's just the greatest. And then we're like, okay, well, this has to be it. This is two legends that we can just play with. And the format fit, the the structure fit, the environment fit. It was a very good beginning, beginning, middle and end. Let's explain to, to the listeners what happens in this interview. Well, the interview is at this point in time. Capote is probably, this is prior to in Col- he wrote In Cold Blood, but he is at the top of his game. He's very, very famous. Just a boy genius. And Brando is also at his most famous. They're both the exact same age of 34, and they were born the same year. And uh, Capote has been sent to the set of Sayonara 
to do a sort of expose of it. It's very interesting what this, it seems very, what's the word I'm wrote. Common wrote. Commonplace now to go shoot on location. But back then they hadn't done it. They, the production company was, was shooting. Was pre-TMZ. Yeah, yes. <laughs> they, the production company was shooting this movie Sayonara in Kyoto, Japan. And they sent, and the New Yorker magazine sent Capote there I think on a secret mission to uncover Brando, but he did. He did go to. He did go to the set. They didn't want him there. The director Josh Logan kicked him off the set because he thought he was a rabble rouser. Anyway, he somehow winds up in Capote's chambers. He's got this. Brando's chambers. Excuse me, yeah. in mm-hmm. Brando's chambers in the Miyoko, Miyako Hotel is mm-hmm. that it in Kyoto, and he just uses the same techniques he used many years later in with Dick and Perry and in Cold yeah. Blood. He uses the same techniques to get through to Brando and which get are him what. To, like, Basically, he, he, he doesn't bring a notebook. He doesn't want it to feel like an interview. And he just talks the entire time. And he talks about himself. Talks about himself. He reveals himself. He reveals all his trauma, all his traumas with his mother, all his lifetime struggles as being a sort of quote unquote sissy his whole life. And Brando's just sitting there listening and feels obligated to share his own secrets. Then in the writing of the article, Capote removes himself entirely and just reveals Brando's secrets. And Brando went insane. So, um, and is a lot of the reason why he shut off to the press later in life yeah. was because of this article. Yeah, article. Yeah. yeah. He was already wary of the press, but this was the sort of the nail in the coffin. Yeah. And, and you'll see it's amazing because now I've dived completely into Capote. Capote uses that technique in In Cold Blood in such a, again, I use the word miraculous way. He changed the genre using that interview technique. Yeah. He uses it on Brando in this early stage. It's so cool. Yeah. Okay. So that's what happened in the interview. <laughs> yeah. What are you What are you doing with it? Our added value. No. <laughs> what What value do you bring to this hashtag content? Well, I don't think in any way shit. We are not. To me, to be perfectly honest, the most interesting thing about this forty-page New Yorker article is when Brando says his mother shattered like a yeah. piece of porcelain, and he had to literally walk over her. He had to. His mother was um, a very, very complicated addict, basically. And was this failed actress herself. And he comes to that at the end of the article. He says, I had to let go of my mother. She fell on the floor, shattered like a piece of porcelain. And I left. I wasn't different. Oh, it's chilling to talk about. And it's chilling to think about Brando actually saying that a man who was very complicated himself. So that was why that is why and why what we've done to the article has kind of blown up that moment. Yeah. And we staged that and we've workshopped that. And I think, you know, we've taken the article as far yeah, we, we have. We, we, we have could. staged it as far as we can. And we basically departed from the article, I think, at about page 20. And we've jumped into what most people don't know about Brando is that his son murdered his daughter's boyfriend in Brando's house, shot him through the face in cold blood. So we're turning it into a sort of in cold blood-esque story of the Brando murders. It so, starts with the interview and go, departs into that territory. So yeah, so we start in 1957, Kyoto, Japan. Capote's interviewing Brando. Mm-hmm. And then we have a time slip to now Capote's interviewing Brando about the murders in his own home. Yeah, and it slowly starts to slip into that kind of an interview. But it certainly begins in the New Yorker territory. And you don't really see it happening. We're using a lot of clips from Brando's films to show the passage of time. It's cool. And, and we were like, wait a second. There's a murder in Brando's life. Truman Capote is famous for this murder narrative. Why are we not seeing this? So we put those two things together. I imagine that you're using trademark Reed Farrington screens. Correct. Yes. Well, what we're doing is we're trying to make media as a tangible object like any other, like like painting or sculpture. And so I give the performers screens that they hold in the productions, and then we project moments of film, mostly characters from different films on them. 
And it's been something I've been doing for over 10 years now, more than that. And what we're doing and we're very aware of, we use, we're using these film clips as more than just decoration. They're actually part of the narrative and they play with the narrative. They accent character. They talk about plot and they do. Age, aging. Age. You can see his face aging. Yeah. Yeah. And also um, we use it for movement. Um, and so it's very much interwoven with the with the storytelling versus sort of the traditional video design where it's used as sort of environmental or sort of social media-esque or TV-esque experiences. What I'm also trying to do is make it human scale and, and make the projections of these characters the same size as the people on the stage. So they very much become characters that the live people are interacting with. Yeah. That's something you did very effectively in Casablanca Box, where you would literally shoot scenes from the movie and there, there would be some off-camera dialogue and then like action and you, you bring in the screen projecting the final cut in Casablanca. Casablanca, but now within a foreign contaminated context. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That was very impressive to me. I really enjoyed Thank you. thinking of these classics in, in new ways. I mean, that's part of it, right? The this other side. I, of yeah, it. this idea of the dark side, maybe, in, in, in Casablanca's yeah. case. Which well, is, it's so shiny and beautiful. Yeah, genuinely. It's perfect. Generally acknowledged as this feel good top five yeah. cinema classic, yeah. right? But let's look at the lives of these extras. Yeah. And we were talking a bit earlier about the post-colonial implications yeah. of diving into identity and power and all that good stuff. Yeah. Well, we love, um, I think the theater artist at his or her or their core likes to just destroy stuff. I just yeah. think there's this urge to take what everybody holds up not necessarily pull it down, but just blow it up, I think. I certainly have that urge. When, when, when legends are held up, I'm like, yeah, but, you know, what, what were they like in the morning when they were like, getting dressed? I literally had to find out about this murder. That doesn't happen to most people. Most people's sons don't murder. The in the house, in the living room, the guy died, and then the cops were there in the rest of his life. And then he went on with his life. Right. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't. So anyway, I, finding that out about a legend was huge. Yeah, and it's this form of theater. It's a very contemporary method of storytelling where you are able to watch not the entire film, but just things in clips. Yeah where you can comment on things, where you can watch a clip of a movie and then do a little bit of research on the side and find another point of view at it. What we're trying to do is give an audience that sort of, that we, we, we construct that for the audience, but in that sort of way that you digest your own stories and your own media, where you're not getting a full piece of uh, this, of like Casablanca from beginning to end. You're just seeing one clip and then you're reading about Humphrey Bogart and then you're reading about something that happened Humphrey Bogart yeah. in his personal life. Yeah. You know, and those sort of threads that you get on when you're in your own in YouTube cable. Yeah. You know, like it's like this and this. You can keep clicking yeah. a disease and then it takes you to the diseases page. <laughs> he died of that. And then you can find out who I mean it's yeah. I think it's fun to do that in the theater and not be like, oh, the, the modern tech is ruining theater. I think we should embrace it and go with it. it of course this is this is modern tech inspired because only on the internet <laughs> can you Get down the, the rabbit hole so quickly. Yeah. Uh, people who are, you know, older than, say, 30 uh, or 35 <laughs> will know that back in the day, you had to go to the library and you had to go through the card catalog yeah. and you had to scroll through microfilm and microfiche Fish. and make Xerox copies of stuff yeah. with your library copy yeah. card. And oh man, was it a pain in the ass. So 
the advantage I think of the internet is you can you can do all that in about 17 seconds. Oh, it's the best. And the disadvantage is who knows how reliable the information well, you're looking true. at is, that's right? True. With, with this loss of gatekeepers, <laughs> we also have a loss, I think, of, of credibility. Yeah, but that's fun for me in okay. the theater. For us, it's because fun. because I, I I think people get upset sometimes when like I made this egregious error in Casablanca Vox, but I then I, I had to double down on it like Trump style and be like, well, I totally meant to do this. I people said. Are talking about it. It's a terrific yeah. piece. Yeah. Well, I, yes. I, I, it was the, um, Gene Harlow was dead in 1942, but I, for some reason, that piece of information didn't cross my field. And so some reviewer was like, how could she have made the mistake? Gene Harlow was dead by the, and I was like, okay. This I, isn't a biopic. I, well, that, I was like, it, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It, it, in the theater, you can bend and twist that. That was a stupid thing. But then I could defend it by saying, cause she's dead. So, so no one better come to his door. You know what I mean? That was my argument. But anyway. The twisting and bending of facts is so fun in the theater, you know. It doesn't right. matter. And we don't let the facts get in the way of a good story or a narrative. Yeah. And I think that we we're interested in entertaining. Ultimately that's our goal. And we and do suspense. care about the yeah. audience yeah. and who's in the house. And we want to make it a fun story. And so often in trying to put these pieces together, there are so many facts that we can't stage because they're not interesting. I think mm-hmm. to see in a theatrical context. I think that there are important facts. And as a reader, and during our research, we find them interesting. And they often make it into the first drafts of the script. Yeah, but sometimes the most interesting. And then we're like, well, this is just information and we can't stage it. So let's get rid of it. And what's more funny if we are fun or entertaining or emotional is if we twist it a little bit and make it, you know, more of a theatrical moment. I'm obsessed with Brando's weight gain. I'm obsessed with it. And because I think it's so deeply psychological that nobody, I mean, not even, he, he was in a lot of therapists' office, obviously, but it is. So uh, clear. And there are a lot of details about what he did and what he ate in his diet and how he got that way and what was leading to it and how he felt about it. And it's so interesting to me, but I cannot put it in there because it's all, all will read like oh, a Wikipedia. Yeah, yeah. And we also aren't interested in, in, in tearing him down in that no, way. I, I think I, that focusing on his weight would be something that. I but it think. is psycho- a psychological hayride. Yeah, yeah. It so, is. Yeah. <laughs> so you're, when, you're, when you're taking things away, what's the through line that you're focusing on, particularly for this piece? And I guess I'm asking you from a playwright perspective. You have this insane interview uh, yeah. that that you depart from. Your eyes on the prize, but what's that prize in in this case I, I, in this project? I keep thinking. Well, the first thing I thought of when you asked that was the sort of generational reflections of trauma. If trauma happens generations ago, how that reflects and reflects and reflects generations forward. I think that is in. That's what I'm focusing on in the writing process. I think that's in play here. You don't give birth. A man isn't raised as a murderer, you know, I think, and, and Brenda was so completely messed up in so many different ways. His father would beat him. I am suspicious that he beat Christian. I've been reading a lot about that. Christian kind of hints at it in different interviews. Christian's his son. Um, I think it's generations of trauma and that through line has to go through. It's very compelling for me to think about and write about. On a sort of intellectual level, it plays into method acting. And because method acting actors are trained to dig into their trauma to create character. So that's sort of a little bit because Brando is known as the method actor, although he claims that he never really used it. And we also are reading that it's and have a belief that method acting isn't necessarily the healthiest way for people to develop characters in cases. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so we're, we're sort of playing with that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I thought of Brando as the prototypical method well, actor. Well, I think method acting came so naturally to him <laughs> uh-huh. that he didn't feel like he was doing anything. I remember in Superman, he <laughs> didn't want to learn his lines, 
So he had everything written on cue cards. Oh, lots right. of movies he yeah. did that. And, and he's like, yeah, well, it's just, it'll be much more natural. Well, if I just and he's right. Because his argument was, how can you have a spontaneous, perfor- give a spontaneous performance if you know what you're going to have? Yeah. And then later, but that, isn't that the acting part of it? Well, <laughs> not, not according no. to, no, he okay. would argue. Because it's not about the words are just icing on the cake. It's about the cake underneath it. You know, okay. what you're feeling. So... But then I'm like, you're just lazy. You know yeah. what I mean? I, yeah. I, I constantly vacillate on him. Well, there's sometimes in, in we've watched pretty much every film oh my God. of his multiple times. And we can see when that technique began in his films. And then we can see where he then moved to the earpiece. And then we can see films where he uses that technique to benefit, like in Godfather. The Godfather. Buona sera. Buona sera. What have I ever done to make you treat me so disrespectfully? If you had come to me in friendship, then the scum that ruined your daughter would be suffering this very day. And if by chance an honest man like yourself should make enemies, then he would become my enemies. And then they would fear you. And then in times where he's using that technique, at, because he's lazy and because he hasn't decided, and to they make no bones lives. about you. If you watch his later movies, which are atrocious in my opinion, you can see his earpiece in his ear. Every scene, you can see it. And they're feeding him lines. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And yeah. so I'm like, if I worked with an actor like that, not who am I? I'm nobody, but still, I'd be like, I can't. I can't with this. I can't. <laughs> anyway, but what, it's Brando. So give, give me the top three Brando performances. Well, the best one, hands down, is Streetcar Named Desire. Well, you're the uh, teach, aren't you? Yes. What do you teach? English? Well, I never was very good English student. How long are you here for? Well, I don't know yet. You gonna, you gonna shack up here? I thought I would if it's not inconvenient for you all. Mm. Traveling wears me out. Well, take it easy. Stop! Oh, those cats. Hey, Stella, what'd you, what'd you do, fall asleep in there? After that, I think it's Last Tango in Paris. Yeah, yeah, sure. The best. The opening scene of Last Tango oh in Paris, God. where the, the subway or the train is coming overhead, and he's like, you can see him just it's the best. having a, an urban meltdown. Yeah. That I think as a as a 18-year New Yorker, we've all experienced yeah. every, you know, nine months or so. Yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> that, it's that, a beautiful a moment. Changer. And that's yeah. why I didn't want to act after that. Because that's all real. You know? Well, it's completely biographical. I mean, he was asked to sort of just spontaneously tell stories in front of the cameras, and they made that into the narrative. So if you know his biography and you see those performances, you can see where he's talking about himself directly in the in that character. Where he's pulling from his own trauma, I think. Yeah. Okay, so we've talked abstractly about the arc <laughs> of this play, which is still in development. I have to finish writing the end. A little TVD. It's but- a little TVD. I haven't. It's very difficult to write. But also what we're doing as well is with these two characters. So we have Brando's films and then we have Capote's writing. And so often in our technique, in my technique, we're using these film moments to accent the, the narrative in the script. But now we're also finding direct lifts from, from Capote. Capote's writing. And we're sort of now holding these two things up against each other as we develop these characters. Oh. So it's been, it's a sort of, it's a tete-a-tete or like a calm yeah. response that we're doing. And so we've been pulling directly from the article at times and then also from In Cold Blood and other places from Capote's writing. So you're using 
primary uh, Capote sources and primary exactly. Brando sources to we're taking this interview as a jumping off point and then using the rest of their <laughs> yes and, and the interview is perfect because it provides a world a very specific okay. Japanese hotel room so it it, ha- it does start there but we can't not use Capote's writing is just up there with Brando's his description acting. of like Brando as the glutton yeah <laughs> just working his way through the menu yeah that's worth the price of admission. And claiming yeah. that he needs to lose weight while he's ordering a mountain of food. Which anticipated his demise in such a phenomenal way, which yeah. he had, Capote had no Is idea. Is Capote responsible for this demise to some degree? Oh, no. No? no okay. No, 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 no. He's just the The only the man responsible for Brando's demise... <laughs> Is, All right, I'm just wondering, Marlin. because you said, you said earlier, oh, well, you know, he stopped talking to the press after this interview. Yeah, but he was already an asshole to the okay. press before that, okay. I think. Yeah. I he think. was wary of them. He wasn't an asshole. Yeah, but yeah. I think what he was objecting to was that Capote said they were, he literally said they were off the record. He didn't write anything down, but he had that fabulous memory, so he was able to. Yeah, that's, that's sneaky. And this yeah. is before, it's not like he just hit record on his iPhone and oh, had no, it in no, his no. pocket. Yeah. This was all in the brain. Yeah. yeah, and he did the same thing with the killers and in cold blood. So. But I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if he also took a bit of dramatic license yeah. with absolutely everything. I, I, right? That's how you tell a good story. Yeah. yeah. He and he knew that. It's the best he's the best. He's ruthless. Oh, he's vicious. <laughs> so let's let's say you Sarah, you wake up in the morning and you're working on this script. Yeah. Okay. I'm lucky. <laughs> if you let's say you have a you have a block of three hours yeah. to, to do to do this. What is the process? What are you doing? It's like, it's this particular script is nothing like playwriting. It's painting. It's being another designer in the room. It's not playwriting. It's, it's going, it's, it's, it's going, how can I use, uh, there's a line, the best, one of the greatest lines in, um, in Cold Blood. Once a thing is set to happen, the only thing you can do is hope it won't. So I take that line and I'm like, I really want to use that somewhere. And it's working in a spiral dramatically to get to using that. So I want to build a scene or a moment around something that somebody else wrote. It's very much like collage or painting with my brain and fingers and computer. <laughs> That's really what it is. When I'm playwriting, it's a completely different um, process. It's more like storytelling. But this is more like being a designer. I mean, it really is. I'm a designer of the words they're going to say. <laughs> so, Reed, when she gives you the pages, then... <laughs> after I cry for after, a few minutes? After you cry, uh, yeah. After, you know, you storm away from the dinner table. And <laughs> <laughs> well, we might as well fight over art versus the dishes. Sure. Yeah. Um, what are the priorities as a director? How do you decide what to spotlight and how to Well, I, there's a lot it? of back and forth in the writing process. So, it, there's... Sarah's reading to me constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, she's sending me even just pages, screenshots of pages, screenshots yeah. of pages. So there's a lot of oh, back it's and so forth. So modern, <laughs> it is. And I'm like, look at the, and it's literally like four pages. But I'll text it to him to be like, I mean, it's that meticulous. It wasn't problem. that long ago. Like, let's just let's just let's pull back for a second. It was not that long ago where. I was copy editing manuscripts yeah. and someone would get on their bicycle at random house and bike over and deliver yeah. me a sure. stack. And now it, like you said, click, here's the screenshot. I'll tell you as a playwright, when I'm writing normal plays, I used to mail like a script to some play. Like, well, if I was submitting, you know what I mean? Now, if I, the very concept of mailing a script, I'm like, oh, stay away from that theater organization. But anyway, I'm totally remember. getting us off track. So, so, <laughs> so you were, you were saying there's back and forth on the writing. There's back and forth on the writing. And then we get into the room and we start to stage it. And then that's where it becomes bigger than ourselves. And we start to work with the actors and it's their interpretations of the characters and their under our conversation with them that make this work. It is, it's not devised in the sense where we're all sort of no. coming in with the same amount of energy and creative control, but it is a place where 
where we open up and allow everybody's voice to be a part of it because it becomes larger than yeah. ourselves. And Sarah also knows it's iterative. So we're writing and then we're, we're doing a small workshop for a week or two weeks where we get people together. Then Sarah knows who's playing what character. So I can cater to that actor. And she starts yeah. to write to that actor's strengths. And it bec- it's a very open process totally. in that way. Uh, we're using the idea of going up on your lines as a beautiful technique in the show where he kind of goes up when something becomes too traumatic and forgets what he's doing. What does that mean, goes up? Uh, oh, like forget your, let's theater speak, forget forgetting your lines on okay. stage. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, or corp, and that corpsing is when you're laughing too hard. It's yeah, sort right. of like you just sort of freeze up. And we didn't know exactly where to drop those in. And so we were able to use the actors to show us where the best places were. I mean, there's only so much I can do alone. And that's that's the way that we make our room and when we work. And, and the performers that we bring into it are game for that. Um, and yeah. are willing to participate in that way. Because it does ask of them more than a traditional role where you come in and I memorize my lines. I come in and I deliver them. Because mm-hmm. we're building this organic thing together. Yeah, we should have a statement saying that before we start. Because so, sometimes it looks like a play. This play looks like a play on the page. It looks like a dialogue. It looks like two people talking. And then when Reed gets his hands on it, it's like, oh my God. It's, it, it could be infuriating to an actor who thinks that's what the play is going to be. Mm-hmm. You know, But it's not. Yeah. Actually, the character that we we cast for Truman Capote, we cast against type. We cast against somebody that, that we cast with somebody that didn't look like Capote. Oh, he couldn't, Capote. Look, he couldn't look further from and Truman Capote. Because of the staging, working with him, he became Brando's father. He became two characters within the narrative that Sarah wrote without... Yeah, she Sean is a very it. tall, big, masculine man, but he can play this effeminate side, and so he can keep, he can do both very quickly. Right. So he would do this Truman thing, and then he would become this masculine wife beater. It was kind of amazing. And it to wasn't. Watch. Even and it wasn't in, in the script. I totally script. did not intend for that, but now it's in there. So I'm like, definitely going to keep. And we that. saw this opportunity because I'm trying to keep the staging moving the entire time because there's this phenomenal dialogue that Sarah's written in this conversation that's happening. But I'm also interested in. It's a dance piece. It's not a theater piece. It's it's something that where there'll be movement constantly. There's also the the like in, in Cold Blood. There are these ghosts from the murders that yeah. are appearing. There's the ghost of Brando's mother that's in there. And there's this constant movement that's happening. So because of my desire to make that staging, Sean became two characters, became Capote and Brando's father. But it was totally because... Totally unwritten. Because he looked like a masculine man. If we had casted with type Mm. and casted, you know, a blonde, effeminate man, that wouldn't be there. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's, we're open to that. Well, and I also like, um, like in Casablanca box... um, People aren't doing impressions of the characters. Yeah, from we had the to come to that and realize we didn't want to do a drag show of. Yeah, you know, well, that, but yeah, that, that makes it much more interesting, and I think it makes the people much more yeah. real because otherwise, it's just oh, I didn't really buy his bogey impression. Hundred percent. Right? Yeah. It, yeah. It, when we had them doing impressions, you just you're either going that's the best impression of Bogart I've ever heard, or you're just cringing. Mm-hmm. And a that takes of, you out of it. A lot of the actors either way, yeah, neither way serves the story. N- yeah. No, because yeah. the audience is just looking at that. Right. You know. Ultimately what I'm trying to get away from is an audience member, because I'll do this, an audience member sitting there being like, are they doing a good impression? I would too. And forget yeah. about the narrative. Yeah. Forget about whatever's what they're delivering as an actor. Oh my God, I do that when I'm watching I mean, Even, any movie where where somebody's playing, right. except any biopic. Philip Seymour Hoffman did an exquisite job, sure. but you do. But watch he was that. wandering around as Capote for for weeks. It, yeah, right? I don't <laughs> want to watch Daniel Day Lewis do 
like Lincoln face. The only American. The only American. I play Americans of a certain age. I I, I cannot. I refuse to believe that people talk like that back then. (laughs) But he's got he's got us believing it because that's that's his that's Daniel Day Lewis's shtick. But that's what you watch. Right. So that's why we moved away from it. And we don't do any tremendous power. (laughs) Yeah. We don't do any. We do. We when we do an impression in Brando Capote, it is purely to land something. It's yeah, to okay. land and, and we did impressions in in, in Casablanca yeah, did, Box yeah. too, but that's when they're close to the film, like right after the clip was shown or right before the clip was shown to sort of help feather the edges into that moment. Yeah. So when you're not using the obvious Brando lines, what then has to happen is I have to watch all 39 of his movies mm-hmm. to find the right lines. <sighs> that's a lot of Brando. Well, it is. Yeah, and some of them are literally unwatchable. The movie, uh, what is it called? Don Juan DeMarco yeah. is horrible. It's one of the Johnny Depp in there. Yeah, correct. Yeah, and Um, Faye Dunaway, another guy who's gone off the deep end. Johnny Depp. I know. Yeah, he's actually okay in it, but it's a horrible movie. What else? What other Easy Money is like a horrible. We watched horrible. He just in the end he needed money for legal. You know, and you know we've read about his his political intentions and and his when he sent a a Native American woman to the Oscars was. Oh, it's an incredible. I think that is and that and that even the year after that he got nominated. For another Oscar, that shows how much people loved him in Hollywood. But when we think about his intentions for his political effect on the world and his help of the of Native Americans, help of African Americans, his focus on hunger in Africa and India, he was so lost in the potential that he had to earn as an actor and then give that to those people. He held that ability to himself. Because it was so, it must have been painful for him to do. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate to sort of look at his life on the outside and and, and hope for the best for him. Uh, you know, <laughs> it, as this person that wants to have this effect on the world, yeah, and had the real, he was doing this before on his own, and then to see the outcome of it. Yeah, it's really sad. Yeah, he's just a tragedy, just a really tragic. The more I've read everything about him, it's just a tragic story. And so is Capote's. And I think the two of them together, I mean, really, he didn't really write anything after In Cold Blood. And the two of these legendary tragedies together in one piece, I'm like, I get like, Rattled thinking and buzzed. Scared. That's thinking why you about keep saying hashtag scared of this place. I am really scared of this place. This thing yeah. I keep because of the tragedy between the t- in the two men. It's impossible through words to describe what is necessary to those who do not know what. Horror means horror. Horror has a face, and you must make a friend of horror. Horror and moral terror are your friends. If they are not, then they are enemies to be feared. They are truly enemies. One of the most exciting parts artistically for me right now is my collaboration with Swiss Sarah. It is this working with a living playwright. I'm living playwright, um, yes. And where <laughs> a living playwright living with you. Living yes. in your house. Um, and I think that's what, when you come to see this, is this this conversation between new media and old media yeah. that we have is... It's really fun. Yeah. And, and never for a minute are you like... Oh, the tech is laid on top. The tech is like deeply enmeshed in everything I'm doing. 
you know, the projects where you're like, oh, they put projections up to have a projection environment for absolutely no reason. But this one, if you were... If you we have a blank space over there, yeah. guys. Let's put up Let's sub run some Brando. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> At first, Reed was like, I'm going to depart from form completely and not use any technology in this. <laughs> and all of our producers were being like, come on, Reed, what are yeah, you going to do? I mean, really that's, your, that's your move, Reed. Come <laughs> it's on. It's his move. So I just, to extract that, would the whole thing would fall apart. In the same way that Casablanca Box, if you pulled out the video, sure. the video is the writers going, see what I did? And then the, the scene comes up. So you have to have tech. And that's why I think this is a wholly contemporary theater piece in that way, because the two are working together. All right. Yeah. Rock and roll. Rock on. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank uh, you for having us. It's been a pleasure. It's truly a pleasure to talk about myself for an hour. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> all that I have, all that I've learned, everything I feel, all this and more, I, I bequeath you, my son. You will carry me inside you. All the days of your life. You will make my strength your own. See my life through your eyes. As your life will be seen through mine. been listening to Soundboard, the Steinway and Sons podcast on artistry and craftsmanship. We heard clips featuring Marlon Brando and others performing in the films Sayonara, The Godfather, A Streetcar Named Desire, Apocalypse Now, and Superman. To learn more about forthcoming productions of Brando Capote, visit ladyfarrington.com Brando. Our intro and outro music is Philip Glass's Mad Rush, performed on a Steinway Model M by me, Ben Finan editor-in-chief at listenmusicculture.com. Questions for the podcast can be sent to info at steinway.com with the subject heading soundboard. Thank you for listening.